Hello, everybody, and welcome to Floor Fight, the Post Rider serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the ultimate winner. I'm your host and announcer, Michael Levito. Thanks, Mike. I'm your other host and your floor manager, Lars Emerson. Welcome to the podcast and to the exciting fight we have before us. We have 56 entries remaining after our last round, so we are squarely in the first round here last episode we cleared the first 16 of round one uh so we are now in the second 16 of round one or the second quarter yes and of course all of these entries are losing presidential candidates as the premise of our first season is to pit them against each other in this bracket to determine the answer to the fundamental question who was the greatest president we never had Reminder for our listeners how this works, we started with 56 runners-up in the competitive U.S. presidential races, plus 16 of the top 3rd and 4th place finishers, 8 of whom won their play-in games to make it into the top bracket. All candidates have been seated based on the percentage of the popular vote. As we go through each matchup, we'll introduce the candidate, the year, their seed, who they were bested by, and give some context. Then Mike and I will debate the merits of each before crowning that round's champion. If for some reason we can't agree, we will literally flip a coin because that's how ties are settled in so many local elections across this great nation of ours. We haven't had to yet, but it may come. Uh, Everybody clear? Back to you, Mike. Thanks, Lars, and thank you, listener. Yes, you, who can follow along with our live updating bracket on our website. Go to thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, upcoming matches, and follow along with us each step of the way. So for now, without further ado, let's dive right in to the second quarter of round one. Thanks, Mike. We're going to have a uh, a good round. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm feeling good. So our first matchup is between a number one seed. We have Al Gore versus a number 16 seed who played in... Uh, in our first episode, he is William Crawford. He defeated Ralph Nader uh, in our first episode. So Al Gore, he's a Tennessean. He's a Democrat, and he was vice president under Bill Clinton in the 90s. Gore got the Dems nomination in 2000 against Republican George W. Bush. Uh, the main issues of the campaign were tax policies, Social Security, and Medicare reform. It's weird because Al Gore is like known for his work on environmental issues, but it's actually like not a big issue in the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Gore won the popular vote kind of uh, infamously. He got 48% in that election, but after a clusterfuck that we unpacked uh, in great lengths uh, in our Running Mates two-parter focusing on the 2000 election, the Supreme Court puts an end to the recount in Florida, so Gore loses the Electoral College and George W. Bush became president. Uh, tell us about Crawford. So William H. Crawford uh, was one of the four major candidates, the Democrat Republicans who ran in 1824. He was from Georgia. He was Secretary of the Treasury for both James Madison and James Monroe. And he was also Secretary of War for James Madison. Uh, so yeah, his his three opponents were John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, and Henry Clay. 
Uh, he did suffer a stroke in 1823, but he saw the support of Madison and Jefferson, and he won 11% of the vote, but because no candidate won a majority of electoral votes in that election, it was thrown to the House of Representatives, which controversially chose John Quincy Adams as the winner in the corrupt bargain, which we've already talked about, so I won't rehash the whole thing. Certainly an experienced candidate, but he was a big fan of slavery. I think Al Gore is the easy winner. Yeah, let's go with Gore. <laughs> yes. uh, it's it's got to be go here. Gore here. Of the, like, four in, like, should Crawford have been president over Andrew Jackson? Sure. You could even convince me he should have been president over Adams. Sure, but not Clay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Gore. We'll, we'll see how he's, he advances. I kind of think he'll go pretty far, too, so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to unpack, like, we'll save the best for him. Yeah. So, number one seed, Al Gore. That's an easy advance. Uh, the next matchup, we have Horace Greeley versus Hubert Humphrey. So, Horace Greeley is basically Ben Franklin 2.0. That's who he looks like. <laughs> Um, Greeley is a number eight seed, despite the fact that he straight up died before the electoral (laughs) votes were counted. That's right, folks. Uh, He went up against President Ulysses S. Grant in the 1876 election as a liberal Republican and got 44% of the vote. Uh, During the Civil War, he thought Lincoln wasn't ending slavery enough. He thought, like, (laughs) Lincoln and Grant were going, like, they were too moderate. He basically, yeah, he thought Grant wasn't liberal enough. He believed in feminism, socialism, temperance, vegetarianism, you know, what the commies believe. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, he died before he could ever, before he even could have won the election. So this is an unfortunate matchup. Um, Like, I guess if you want to know who his running mate was, it was Missouri Governor Benjamin Gratz Brown, who also thought Lincoln was too moderate. Yeah, he's he's our candidate who dies before he could ever possibly... He, he's the only ca- candidate we have in here who genuinely had no chance to become president. Because <laughs> he died. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Hubert H. Humphrey ran in 1968 as the Democrat. He was Lyndon B. Johnson's vice president. He got the nomination after Johnson decided he would not run for re-election. He won 191 electoral votes in 13 states in Washington, D.C., good for 42.7% of the popular vote. He, of course, ran against not just the eventual winner, Richard Nixon, but also against George Wallace, who was a Democrat but running as an American independent um, because he uh, thought the Democrats uh, were anti-against segregation, which most of them were, and but he was not. But Hubert Humphrey, of course, was very much against segregation. He was a very, very pro uh, civil rights. And he, he was like pretty liberal. You know, he supported a nuclear test ban treaty. He wanted to expand Johnson's Great Society and War on Poverty programs. Uh, he ran what he called the politics of joy, which was tough to do in the unjoyful times that were in 1968. Um, but he was also, and this was a big sticking point for a lot of folks, is that he was much more hawkish than a lot of the Democratic Party. He supported the Vietnam War, but he did want to partially stop bombings, but he did also want to send in more troops and increase the Defense Department's budget by like 4%. And he had the backing of primarily labor unions. Yeah. I am so glad that Greeley is not up against like a racist, terrible <laughs> candidate because we've had to make those tough calls. Because mm-hmm. I cannot in good conscience say who was the best president we never had, and say it's this guy who died before he could ever take office. So I think Humphrey is the easy call for me here. I would agree. I think he would have been an excellent president, honestly. Um, Him being a little pro-war will make me uncomfortable. It is. 
there was part of me that wonders if if was that just a function of like he didn't well part of it was that he didn't want to like appear too anti-war because then he thought johnson would do things to sabotage his candidacy but humphrey to me was just like a consummate public servant Mm. um he would eventually become senator after he lost this election he would run for the senate again and win and was a very important enemy of the nixon administration i just think hubert humphrey is a pretty rad guy and and would have been a great president so um that's cute mike (laughs) (laughs) um well humphrey humphrey advances sorry (laughs) Sorry, Horace, your life seemed pretty rough, but you're out. All right, round three of this episode, we have number five seed Thomas Jefferson versus number 12 seed George McGovern. There's a comparison for you. So, Thomas Jefferson, uh, this is, of course, the election of 1796. Uh, This is one of only two pre-12th Amendment candidates we have in here. Uh, and our only election from the 1700s. Thomas Jefferson uh, is a Democratic-Republican, former Secretary of State. He loses in 1796 to Federalist John Adams. Jefferson gets 47% of the vote. Uh, You know, whatever that's worth in the 1700s when, like, no one could actually vote. But, you know, Jefferson's the runner-up, which makes him the vice president, which seemed like a great idea at the time, (laughs) but wasn't. The issues in the election were the French Revolution. Federalists um, were monarch, had supposed monarchist inclinations. (laughs) And like whether Hamilton was cool or not. Seriously, like that's a thing that they were running on is like, do you like Hamilton? And whereas Jefferson was painted as like a Francophile and like a coward for not fighting in the revolution, he was accused of being gasp. An atheist by John <laughs> Adams, uh, which is, by the way, not the worst thing Thomas Jefferson has ever been accused of, right, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is the Jefferson that loses to Vice President Adams in 1796. How about George McGovern? Well, George McGovern also lost to Richard Nixon, but in a much more dramatic fashion. Uh, although anticlimactic in some ways, dramatic if you look at the numbers, uh, he ran in 1972. He was the liberal senator from South Dakota, a very liberal Democrat, who only won 17 electoral votes, uh, one state in Washington, D.C. for 37.5% of the popular vote. And didn't even have Wallace to blame that on this time. So <clears throat> his opponent said that he was in favor of amnesty, abortion, and acid, to give you the idea of kind of uh, how he was perceived and what his constituency was perceived as. Uh, he wanted to withdraw from Vietnam in exchange for the return of American prisoners of war back to the United States. He wanted to uh, deliver amnesty to everyone who evaded the draft and left the country. He wanted to reduce defense spending by 37% over three years. And he eventually dropped this plank, but he wanted to basically create a UBI program, a universal basic income program. He called it the Demigrant. He wanted to give $1,000 to every citizen. This was not a very popular idea, and he eventually dropped it, but still... The governor, of course, got destroyed by Nixon in the campaign. In fact, he knew in the waning weeks that he was likely going to lose and and got a little frustrated. He appeared at an event in Battle Creek, Michigan, and he was being heckled by a Nixon supporter. And McGovern said, hey, I've got a secret for you. And then he whispered into his ear, kiss my ass, um, which was very out of character for the prairie preacher image that he tended to convey. Yeah, so these are two very different guys as well. That's fun. Um, (laughs) where where do we, where do we start with this? 
<laughs> it's <laughs> it, this is a true apples and oranges comparison. <laughs> Who deserved um, to be president more, Thomas Jefferson four years early or George McGovern ever? I don't know. Yeah. So it's weird, right? Because easy self-admission here. It's like I feel like if I were alive in the '80s, I would have been like, "Nope, not ever going to vote for Reagan. Not happening. Not even in mm. 1984." But if I were alive in the '70s. You sure as hell would have voted for Nixon. I don't know. You heard it here first. This is a pro-Nixon podcast. Um, Aren't most of the podcasts we do a little pro-Nixon, Mike? Well, we talk about him a lot. It's more like Nixon's good outweighed some of Nixon's evil. Not all of it. Well, yeah. If if Watergate had never happened, he would be considered one of the best presidents ever, possibly. (laughs) Vietnam was an issue, I guess, but... Does McGovern um, end the Vietnam War? Mm. Well, see, that's the thing. It's like, if McGovern is president, I think things could go really poorly. Not necessarily because of him. Yeah. But I think basically having the new left in office, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you're still dealing with a lot of conservative Democrats, right? The lessons Democrats learn in the election of 1972 are very important for where the party goes in the next rest of the 20th century. That's for sure. And I think you could argue, I mean, Adams had his own scandals, right? Oh, I um, hate John Adams. John Adams is, like, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. The, the Alien and Sedition Acts, which <laughs> he would implement as president, are, like, <laughs> completely antithetical to the foundation of America. But whatever. Mm-hmm. He also hated Hamilton. It's like, is Jefferson great? No. <laughs> like, am I comfortable saying Thomas Jefferson is, like, a better president than John Adams? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I feel he, sort of bad, though, because, you know, Nixon's not, like, a good guy, and McGovern seems like a good guy. Yeah. But would okay. McGovern have been a better president than Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> I don't know. Is there anyone in the world who can really say, like, yes? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Are we giving um, it, are we giving it to TJ? I think so. Oh, poor, poor McGovern. I kind of thought that could be an upset, but I, I talked myself out of it. Maybe there will be an upset in the next round. We have number four seed, the sexiest man ever nominated for the presidency, Mitt Romney, versus the number 13 seed, James Cox. Mitt Romney, can I get a what, what, Mike? He is the former governor of Massachusetts. Willard Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for president in 2012, up against Barack Obama. He is now every Democrat's favorite Republican And he won 47% of the vote in 2012, but lost the election in a race that was focused on the economic recovery, who built what, health care, and the budget. It was the sexiest election of all time. That's kind of all I have about Mitt Romney, but an interesting aside that I was thinking about uh, about the 2012 election is it feels like the only election in, like, recent history where both of the candidates and their vice presidents went on to do, like, bigger and better things like i guess obama doesn't count but you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. romney would become senator and like this big deal biden would become president paul ryan would become speaker give me a give me two sides of a ticket that don't that have that like resume oh well james cox will actually give them a run for the money but <laughs> yeah so james m cox was governor of ohio he's also founder of cox communications which still exists what that's yeah. my internet provider <laughs> Yeah, he that found son it. of a bitch. <laughs> he was a Democrat who ran in 1920. He won 127 electoral votes, 11 states, 34.1 percent popular vote. He lost to Warren G. Harding. 
Um, he was also considered a conservative along with Harding, or relatively conservative at least. He wanted to lower income and business taxes because he thought that was the best way to fight unemployment and inflation. He wanted to pass uh, national collective bargaining legislation. He also supported the Volstead Act, which is what made prohibition possible. And he wanted to uh, Americanize immigrants. It was a big thing he ran on. So in this election, on the Republican ticket, you had Warren G. Harding, who would win and be president. Of course, Harding would die in office as vice president. Calvin Coolidge would become president and be elected in his own right in 1924. James M. Cox's uh, running mate, do you know who it was? Uh, no. It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> oh my god! Who, who was like an assistant secretary to the Navy at the time. So Cox is the only person in this election to never become president, which according to this guy named Irving Stone, who wrote a book in like the 40s about losing presidential candidates, uh, he thinks this was like a travesty. Hmm. He claimed that Cox would have made a much better president than Harding and argued that there was never a stronger case in the history of American presidential elections for the proposition that the better man lost. That was probably true in like 1948. I do not think it's necessarily true now. (laughs) But yeah, this was another election that was considered kind of superficial. There was one writer who commented that the people indeed do not know what ideas Harding or Cox represent. Neither do Harding or Cox. Great is democracy. (laughs) Hmm. These are two very strong uh, tickets for years. Yes, that, that's fun. So. That's fun. They ended up against each other. Yeah. Where do we start with these? I. What do you think a Romney presidency looks like? <laughs> okay. Let's let's lay it out. Let's think it out. We got time. Mm-hmm. Romney wins the presidency. I think he wins re-election in 2016. I think the Republicans already control the House at this point, but they probably do not get control back of the Senate in 2014, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Romney is forced to make compromises with Reed and then Schumer through 2013 through like 2017. Donald Trump does not become president in this world where Mitt Romney is president because I think Romney no. definitely wins re-election. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty hard to make a case that 2016 is like a pretty neutral year. I think the incumbent just like wins that year. So here's here is my like idealistic vision for America is in Romney's second term is Romney is then his end of his presidency when COVID happens and he can just like govern his heart out. (laughs) (laughs) Do I think you have a more like compromise oriented relationship between the White House and Congress than you have had these past Trump and Obama years? Yes, because I think you Mm -hmm. have to, right? Is Romney is still stuck with a Democratic Senate. But you certainly, it is the only way you get a competent administrator over COVID unless you have Hillary win in 2016. Yeah, that's a good point. And Harding was like, uh, you know, famously a philanderer and, you know, had a lot yeah. of issues. He appointed a lot of not so great people to his cabinet. And so maybe Hawks was truly a better man. But I also don't see a lot of difference between him and Harding. <laughs> I don't know right. how much changes of what's considered like a pretty, like, not great presidency. Like, I still think that we, we see the retrenchment and isolationism and kind of economic irresponsibility that we saw in the 1920s. But I think with Romney, you get kind of like a... I hate how we're reviewing all these, like, which one of these stops Donald Trump? (laughs) But the weird element to this is you have... You find America in, like, a better place in 2020. This is weird, but I kind of see Mitt Romney as, like, the good version of George W. Bush, who, like, you know, kind of wins this, like you know, competition in 2012. And then like something like really shitty just happens to him at the end of his presidency. And so he becomes like unpopular. 
mm-hmm. but is still able to like and like George W. Bush, he like kind of just like does the right thing at the end. Yeah. But I don't like I feel like the year 2022 that we are living in. Mm-hmm. And this is like, you know, the, the Lars Emerson who was 17 in 2012 would like shoot me for saying this but like the world we live in if Mitt Romney wins election in 2012 is so much better than the world we live in where Obama won re-election in 2012 if that makes any sense yeah I I guess my case for Romney is I want to see him go a little further I think there's like a big debate to be had here and Cox I just don't have very strong feelings about or Harding for that matter yeah no I I think I agree Mitt Romney's at least the more interesting choice right yeah there's like a whole alternate history you can spiral down there yeah i I support that all right yes (laughs) let's go mid (laughs) all right excellent let's take a commercial break if you're enjoying floor fight be sure to check out the podcast that started it all running mates it's the podcast where mike and i went through every modern presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks Not only that, but we made our case for who would have been a better pick each cycle and where and how vice presidential picks could make a difference each election. Could Hillary Clinton have won in 2016 if she picked a different running mate? Could Al Gore have won in 2000 if he picked a different running mate? That's the premise of Running Mates, which you can find on thepostwriter.com or everywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe and run through every election from 1968 to 2020 with an emphasis on that second name on the ticket. And we're back with the next half of our second quarter of the first round. And we have number six seed, Michael Dukakis. I believe the only Michael in our bracket. (laughs) I think so. Versus uh, number 11 seed, Herbert Hoover. So Dukakis, uh, he was the Democratic governor of Massachusetts, and he went up against Republican Vice President George H.W. Bush in 1988. I gotta be honest, like 1988 kind of feels like the odd duck election of the post-war, like period. It is certainly the one I like understand the least and like know the least about. <laughs> it's just like such a I don't know. It's like when we were doing Running Mates and Watching Mates, it was always just kind of like the eh. I yeah. Don't know. Dukakis was painted as like a a, a Massachusetts liberal who supported the ACLU, was soft on crime, was against mandatory recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance in schools. He had this photo op in a tank that was like a big blunder (laughs) and everyone makes fun of. Anyway, he got 46% of the vote. He lost to Bush. I don't know, man. I don't have a lot to say about the (laughs) 1988 election. But Hoover, that's an interesting one. (laughs) Yeah, Herbert Hoover, who was the president of the United States and ran for election in 1932. uh, You could argue that he had the worst showing of like any incumbent president ever in re-election bid. Uh, He lost to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He only won 59 electoral votes in six states, 39.6% of the popular vote. Um, So Herbert Hoover, of course, was president uh, when the Great Depression started. And he kind of seemed like he wanted to last as long as possible. That's not fair. He definitely did not want to last long. But um, he was basically against any government interventionism in the economy. Even when, like, unemployment was at, like, 23%, he was like, you know what? I don't like federal unemployment insurance. I don't think we should do this. And he, he claimed it was all the Europeans' fault. Like, their irresponsibility is what caused the American economy to crash. And he also tried to, like put like a positive spin on black tuesday <laughs> and was like eh, it's not that bad which of course it was very bad he thought that welfare should all be handled at the local and state level and that you know, like i said the feds shouldn't be involved and like prohibition he wanted to like change it but he never really said like what he wanted to change about it 
He was very vague at it. He was incredibly unpopular. He, during his re-election campaign, he had things thrown at him on the campaign trail. And he actually received a letter from somebody who told him, vote for Roosevelt and make it unanimous. <laughs> so, yeah, Herbert Hoover. That's baller. Yeah, not, not a great, not a great uh, presidency for him. It's so sad because I feel like Herbert Hoover is actually like a very competent, good man who is just elected at the worst possible time to be elected if you are him. I was re-listening to the – there's a podcast series called Presidential by the Washington Post, and they have an episode on Herbert Hoover, and I was re-listening to it, and one of his biographers was on it, and he's like, yeah, he's like – if he were, like, not present during the Great Depression, he probably would have done some great things. Because, like, he organized famine relief in Europe after World War One, and was, like, actually, like, very charitable. Yeah. He just didn't think the government should have anything to do with that. But, like, if he had not been president, he probably would have been, like, tapped by whoever the president was to, like, you know, do something um, important. But he just really did not think he... Uh, had a role and then just got really bitter and sour afterwards and became like more and more right wing after he was out of office he does come around a little towards like the end yeah probably just because he's like realizes he's gonna lose Mm -hmm. he does start to do some stuff he also unfortunately is like kind of behind the glass steagall act which has aged well in leftist circles has not aged well in like conventional economic circles we we this is a podcast divided about that issue but yes yeah i don't know but but dukakis i don't know like do we have very special positive feelings about him either i mean not really nothing specific it um it kind of feels like we're arguing like who was better roosevelt or bush yeah that's true i guess it was roosevelt (laughs) Yeah, I I just I I don't I don't see a world where it's like, you know who should have gotten a second chance? <laughs> well, I mean like maybe in like maybe cosmically he should have gotten a second chance, but in 1932, no, probably not. Hoover should have run again in like 48 is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, why yeah. not? He had he had uh, until Carter, he had the longest post presidency ever. Yeah, dude lived until 1960 something. Yeah. Yeah, I I think we we let Bush advance earlier, mm-hmm. so I guess we'll let Dukakis advance now. Yeah. Is that our logic? Sure. Okay. Sorry, Hoover. I know you were like an engineer, and my favorite dam is named after you. <laughs> but, you know. All right. Next round, we have a number three seed. We have Henry Clay in 1844 versus a number 14 seed, Stephen Douglas. Henry Clay in 1844. Henry Clay is back, but this time he is from 1844, where he was the Whigs nominee against Democrat James K. Polk. He got 48% of the vote, but he lost to Polk in a race where they squared off over slavery and the annexation of Texas. Clay, you may remember from our play-ins, he had been a Kentucky representative, then House Speaker, then Kentucky Senator, then Secretary of State under Quincy Adams. He's also, uh, he's really old by the time 1844 rolls around. Of course, Polk would also die, like, five years later at the age of 53, so who knows? But, like, just looking at, like, photos of Henry Clay in 1844, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not good. But, you know, talk about that hot young thing, Stephen Douglas, Mike. He, 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 Henry Clay does look like kind of the Crypt Creeper. <laughs> he does. It's in, like, in he looks pictures. very different from... He's very gaunt. 24 to 1844. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... So Stephen Douglas, he was a senator from Illinois, famously defeated Abraham Lincoln in a Senate election. 
that had a very famous series of debates. He was technically like the official Democratic nominee for president in 1860, which was another four-person race. Really, he was the Northern Democratic nominee. He only won one state, Missouri, which gave him 12 electoral votes, 20.5% of the vote. So this was like a very weird election year in 1860 where you basically had... I was reading about it, and it's like there were basically two elections going on concurrently. There was Lincoln versus Douglas in the north, and then there was Bell versus Breckenridge in the south. We dealt with Bell and Breckenridge in our first episode. Yeah, um, they are both no longer to, with us. Yes, we thankfully won't have to be dealing with them again. And Douglas, his whole thing was that he was a fan of popular sovereignty, which meant that he thought that in the debate about which should which territories which would eventually become states whether or not they should allow slavery he thought it was up to the voters in those states to decide um, which is basically what caused a mini civil war in kansas at the time but he was also a staunch unionist he did not want secession he in fact said i am in favor of executing in good faith every clause and provision of the constitution and protecting every right under it and then hanging every man who takes up arms against it so the way that they did elections back then is that like some states voted in october instead of november and eventually it became clear that lincoln was going to win so douglas in his last few days of the campaign just toured the south and like begged them not to secede <laughs> he was not successful in this effort <laughs> and uh he lost the election <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i guess it's it's like you know douglas is more of a a gradualist is that fair to say yes and do you want gradualism at the time of 1860 i think he's just delaying the inevitable <laughs> right well uh, now like especially you know he's touring the south saying like hey don't succeed is not I, would you not argue that the south succeeding has led to a greater good than it just like us just like plowing through for 20 more years and pretending there was no problem yes the civil war was a necessary reckoning <laughs> Oh, Um, that's very evangelical, Mike. (laughs) It is. But I think it was. And it's like, so you, you, like, it's just just kicking the can down the road another few years, right? And they probably would have seceded anyway. And you you would have then a guy in office who probably would have been, like, you know, wishy-washy about what to do. Not that Lincoln started out as, like, a very radical abolitionist per se. But I just don't see douglas as like a, a a good leader in troubled times he's he, you know i feel like you if, if you're in crisis you actually don't want somebody who wants to make everybody happy right and that's exactly who douglas kind of seemed like to me yeah i want to be a little fair to clay he would not actually die until 1852 okay so he's not like on the verge of death he's got a good eight <laughs> years left Unlike Polk, the, the, but the, the, he just—he just didn't daguerreotype well. <laughs> right, he's not looking good. <laughs> I don't know. I—I'm I, like a—I'm a—I'm—I'm I'm a pretty decent big Henry Clay fan. Mm-hmm. I feel—I feel like the case for Henry Clay, like Polk, is certainly a very um, successful president. Effective, yes, but effective at what? <laughs> Which right. was, you know, manifest destiny, westward expansion. I, I read somewhere once somebody implying that if there is American fascism, he's the origins of it, which seemed a little extreme. He he does he's not quite as like I resent the rule of law as like Andrew no. Jackson was. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like I gotta go with Clay again here over Douglas. It's just like Douglas is kind of just like deluding himself, whereas Clay is actually trying to propose solutions to move forward. Mm-hmm. Clay is definitely a gradualist, but you need a gradualist in 1844 more than you need a gradualist in 1860. You know what I mean? I would agree. All right. Henry Clay advances again. (laughs) He's in here a lot. (laughs) 
Um, all right, our second to last matchup in this quarter. We have number seven seed Wendell Wilkie versus number ten seed Jimmy Cotta. Uh Wendell Wilkie, he was a Democrat turned Republican and uh, the nominee against FDR in nineteen forty as FDR sought a third consecutive term. He had never run for or held public office before, but he was a big business boy, which is something he was kind of, I guess, rightfully skewered for in 1940. It seems like a bad time to be, like, a, a big business kind of guy. He didn't have, like, a ton of disagreements with Roosevelt on policy, and he said, like, yeah, I'd keep the New Deal, but he ran against Roosevelt keeping a third term. <laughs> Or, like, having a third term, which, you know, was against kind of the prevailing tradition in America, as no president had ever won a third term before. He also accused Roosevelt of secretly planning to get involved in World War II. Wilkie got 45% of the vote, but Roosevelt won his third term, which seems fine because Wilkie also dies less than four years later. By the way, so does Wilkie's running mate in this election. It is the only election for which this is the case where both the president and their running mate are dead in the term they would have been elected for. I did not know that. Who was his running mate? It was Charles L. McNary, who I actually believe dies before Wilkie, but he was Senate Minority Leader, Senator from Oregon. Interesting. Well, this guy is actually still alive, but his presidential prospects died in 1980. <laughs> I'm talking of Jimmy Carter, who was president, a Democrat, who uh, I said Herbert Hoover had probably the worst re-election run of any president. Jimmy Carter uh, makes a decent case for being number two. He won 49 electoral votes, six states in Washington, D.C., and 41% of the vote. He had to deal with a lot of issues when he was president. There was an energy crisis. There was stagflation. There was the Iran hostage crisis. Carter, of course, was running against Ronald Reagan, and Carter just kind of ran against Reagan's economic policies, um, Reagan, you know, at the time was considered kind of heterodox in his conservative views. The, you know, Carter really wanted to keep the New Deal coalition together. He was kind of in a lot of ways the last gasp of the New Deal coalition in 1976. The issue, though, is that he really didn't have his own plan. He was just kind of running against Reagan. He was like vaguely pro ERA, but a lot of feminists didn't think he went far enough. And a lot of people viewed his focus on human rights and detente and foreign policy as kind of a sign of weakness and not what was needed to meet the challenge of the Soviet Union. Yeah, poor Jimmy Carter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it is a good comparison, him and him and Hoover. Yeah. But Wilkie? <laughs> it, it's a weird comparison. I feel, I feel like Wilkie is... I mean, I, I love the whole, like, FDR's planning to secretly bring us into World War II. Which is definitely, like, sort of true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't love the idea of electing who was, I suppose, the only, <laughs> in his time, the only ever major party nominee with no political experience. Yeah, that's an issue. Like, imagine if Wilkie is elected that election, and then, rule, and then like, Pearl Harbor happens. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'd be compelled to act at that point, but it would not be a... You wouldn't feel quite as confident. <laughs> Yeah, I think FDR was um, at least a steady hand on the uh, on the wheel. I will say I don't think Jimmy Carter was a very good president. <laughs> I think he was a really poor administrator, and that he he was somebody who did try to make everybody happy, and it just made everybody hate him. And I think he he I, he was if he was president twenty years later, I think he would have been absolutely fine. But I just don't like where he where where he thought the country was was not where like the public thought the country was, and it's. It's that old adage, 
which I think was said by Nikita Khrushchev, which is when the public says there's a river and there's no river, you don't tell them there's no river. You tell them you're going to build an invisible bridge over the invisible river. And Carter was kind of bad at doing that. Well, and Carter is not like as progressive as he's made out to be. No, no. He was not particularly like pro-choice or anything. Mm -mm. He's certainly very Christian. Yes. I kind of am leaning towards Carter, though, after I said all of that. Like, the worst case scenario, Carter is reelected and, you know, the Reagan revolution is probably just put off. Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, nothing happens. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I guess Carter gets credit for the hostages getting freed or they stay mm-hmm. in there four more years. I'm not sure. But, like, worst case scenario, if Wilkie gets elected is a lot worse. To, it's just higher stakes. Like if there were yeah. ever a if there were ever a period in American history where I want like four terms of the same person, it's that like 1929 through 1945, right? Yeah, that is very historically fortuitous. Mm-hmm. And you do wonder. The only thing with Wilkie was that he actually did end up, even though he was kind of like he thought he was like, oh, Roosevelt's going to bring us into war. He ended up being like very supportive of the war effort eventually. Yeah, but he. I uh, was nominated on like the sixth ballot in the convention, which means he probably owed a lot of like much more conservative figures favors. <laughs> and do you, do you really want him possibly being compromised by his loyalty to certain figures who would be less enthusiastic about things that needed to be done at the time? I just it, it's tough for me to say that Roosevelt should not have been president. I guess is what I'm yeah, coming down to. You also have Democrats like overwhelmingly in control of congress for that entire yeah. like at least 14 years yeah I'm, I'm happy giving it to carter for now i don't think he's gonna go like super far i don't know i don't think wilkie eh, i'm not that's not a risk i'm willing to take no i agree all right carter advances and we are on to our last matchup in this quarter we have number two seed john Kerry versus number 15 seed who played in uh in our first episode against bell we have william howard taft so john Kerry, democrat he was a longtime senator from massachusetts by the time he got the nomination for president in 2004 to run against the incumbent president george w bush Kerry got 48% of the vote, but he lost the election in what is the last election in which a Republican has won the popular vote. Kerry criticized the Bush administration's war on terror, the Iraq war, etc. But Bush kind of presented himself as like a decisive leader in a decisive time while hitting Kerry on being a, we've heard this one before, a Massachusetts liberal. (laughs) I feel like Democrats should just like stop nominating people for Massachusetts if for no other reason than that. (laughs) Um, sorry, Elizabeth Warren, but I mean, if the shoe fits, um, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it was a recent election. Yeah. Like I said, they focused on the war, uh, the Bush administration, like kind of narrowly just wins that election, uh, closer than I think most people realize. Yeah, it, it was actually, there were even conspiracy theories this time that Ohio had been subject to some shenanigans. Yes. Um, instead of Florida. I just, I did just realize too, that it's like. I feel like the whole Massachusetts liberal meme, though, is now, like, if people are, like, going to talk about a state being too liberal, it's California. You know what I mean? Yeah, though I feel like California has a lot more very red places than Massachusetts does. It it, it does, but I feel like as, like, far as, like, perception on a national stage, like, California is seen as this, like, if you're a conservative, it's like a liberal hellscape. Oh, yeah. Whereas, like, Massachusetts is, like, people, I feel like people don't think about it, which is probably <laughs> because... There aren't, like, outside of Elizabeth Warren, it's like, unless you, like, really follow politics, like, Ed Markey is probably not a name you know, you know? Right. 
But it's got way, a Republican if, governor. Have these Republicans ever been to California? It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, William Howard Taft. <laughs> So I just realized that I had said that Herbert Hoover had the worst re-election campaign of any uh, incumbent president. I'm actually, I was wrong about that. Yeah. It's actually William Howard Taft. And the reason why is that he lost, he came in third place in his own re-election bid. Woodrow Wilson would end up winning that election, but uh, his predecessor, Theodore Roosevelt, and his one-time friend would come in second uh, as a member of the Progressive Party. Taft was, of course, Republican. He only won eight electoral votes, too. <laughs> he won two states, Utah and Vermont. 23.2% of the popular vote. So Taft, you know, he and Roosevelt basically split the vote. Taft, you know, he was very pro-tariff. He was very anti-monopoly, very anti-trust, but not as anti-monopoly and trust as Roosevelt and other progressives would have liked. He was big into foreign policy, the so-called dollar diplomacy in Latin America and things of that nature. But he was seen generally... As compared to Roosevelt, he was kind of seen as a representative of like the the sort of traditional like business interests of the Republicans, even though he did do his own fair bit of trust busting and things like that. So, yeah, good for him. Yeah, he lost so hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> poor guy. He, he's the only incumbent president I can think of that got third place. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's like granted that there were there were presidents like early on who did not even get renominated. Yes, but that is true. you know, I f- I feel like they were at least spared the humiliation of what Taft went through. It, it it's so brutal, right? You run for renomination, you barely win your party's nomination, and the runner-up starts his own party and gets more votes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Woodrow Wilson. I feel like people have pretty negative perceptions of Woodrow Wilson these days. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. They do, and rightfully unfair. so, because he was a vehement racist. Yes, but um, for somewhat unfair administrative reasons, is what I was going to yes, say. Yes, yeah. without Wilson, you probably don't have the le- direct election of senators, or right. people probably wouldn't mind not having a federal income tax, but you know, you don't have a federal reserve system. I know that would destroy you, Lars. Yeah, that would, that would, that would, um, that would ruin my day. Um, and you don't have the liberal international order. I know there are also people who would not be upset about that, but, but <laughs> I but would that's... argue that it's held up pretty well, except maybe today when literally Russia has just invaded Ukraine. Yeah, so that's Woodrow Wilson. When we were doing our rankings of the post-war presidents, we had George W. Bush as second to last. Yeah, George W. Bush was a very bad president. <laughs> it, it is and... one of those weird things Republicans and Democrats both seem to agree on. <laughs> yes, yes. And... I would have absolutely no problem with John Kerry winning in 2004. And, like, think about it. There's, there's still... <laughs> this is so, I mean, depressing. Like, I don't know what Kerry would have actually done in the Iraq war, but it's like, we'd only been there for, like, a year that, <laughs> you know, by that point. <laughs> there was time to, to make some changes. I mean, you got to imagine that Katrina goes better. you got to imagine... I mean, I don't know that he could really do anything about the financial crisis, but... He may not have appointed Bernanke. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably, I mean, probably the Supreme Court. I, like, I'm trying to think if Bush made any appointments in his second term. I think Robert is Roberts in 2005. Alito, Alito was 2006. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I feel like John Kerry is someone that American history is like has almost like turned a blind eye to. Um, the dude is like still kicking. He's still doing like pretty cool stuff. I mean, he did all this climate work under Obama. You know, 
the Iran deal, no matter how controversial it was, I think is like, if not in the U.S., certainly internationally considered a good idea. It is like the only thing you got Russia to agree with the United States is like, hey, we should like all work together to like make this happen. And, you know, now he's President Biden's climate envoy. I mean, the dude is like, he's traveling all over the world. He's doing stuff. He's secretary of state later on. You know, I, I you know, do I think he loses re-election in 2008 to John McCain, for example? Yeah, but yeah. I think we've established in our last episode that we're probably okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy giving it to to carry Taft. He probably gets like a little too unfair of a rap, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, imagine if he had won, he'd just be like so screwed. Yeah. All right. Good work, Carrie. Well, so it's it's funny we started off in our in our play and it's very like not modern history biased but we have so yeah. far been like quite with these well not not entirely like we gave it to jefferson over mcgovern <laughs> but we we have been a little modern history biased in this quarter we gave it that to is Gore true and, and romney and carter and carrie <laughs> but yeah i mean it helps when you had actual like candidates who wanted to run right um, yeah and also none that owned slaves <laughs> yeah you know that 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 that's a little biased but uh that that's the end of of quarter two rather of round one yeah so we've gone now from uh 56 candidates to 48 and there's only more to come (laughs) you're gonna get 16 more games matchups whatever you want to call them in this first round any results that surprise you this time i know we kind of were talking about that before but yeah i thought jefferson versus mcgovern which i guess is the one we probably spent the most on other mm-hmm. than maybe Romney and Cox, I, those two were very interesting, right? I I, mm-hmm. I, I thought Romney was going to win at the end because I was like, I think I can make a pretty compelling pro-Romney argument. But mm-hmm. the Jefferson v. McGovern, I kind of thought you'd fight a little harder on just because... Because my mother's maiden name's McGovern. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, do I think we're wrong? No, Thomas Jefferson, he's not considered a bad president, but I was, I was, uh, I was interested to see how that one went. I'll put it that way. I yeah, know. I agree. The other one, uh, Carter versus Wilkie. I think if you had asked me before we did this, before we really dug in, I probably would have thought Wilkie would win that. But like digging a little bit more researching wise, it's like, ah, maybe not. But Wilkie to me is like the kind of like liberal internationalist Republican that I think we both like. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish um, he runs later. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, he didn't get the chance because he died. But or okay. <laughs> I wish he runs in like, you know, the 1920s. That would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. It Even though he had no experience at all, and I still no. don't love that. Yeah, I kind of actually thought, I thought that one was more competitive than I thought. I thought we were both going to just kind of go for Carter because Wilkie had no experience and was running for FDR, but we gave that one a fair argument, I think. We did, yeah. And as far as, like, future matchups, Gore versus Humphrey and Jefferson versus Romney, I think, are two, like, slobber knockers. Like, that. I think those will be very interesting conversations. We we could end up with some coin flips on those. We could. Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, yeah. The only one I'm not feeling super that I don't feel the need to argue intensively is Dukakis versus Henry Clay <laughs> in '44. <laughs> Clay's got a number of chances, but yeah, I think we demonstrated quite a bit of antipathy there. Yes, but, I would agree. But yeah, <laughs> you know, in Mitt Romney's dreams, Thomas Jefferson versus <laughs> Mitt Romney. <laughs> it's just like Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Romney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the only spot those two names have ever appeared together. Good, uh, good for Mitt. Yeah, well, both he and you 
and the listeners and me will have to stay tuned to find out how this actually goes down. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or of course, you can just follow along on thepostwriter.com, where you can also stay tuned in with our live updating bracket at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see how each candidate fared as we whittle them down over the course of the series. You can tweet us at thepostwriter or email us at contactthepostwriter.com to let us know what picks you'd have made, where we erred, and the tremendous injustices we committed against. I know there's some McGovern stands out there, and I want to hear from you. I want you to make the case. Same thing with Wendell Wilkie. If I don't, like, I, I want a Wilkie guy in our in our inbox. But <laughs> we'll see you next round on Floor Fight, where we'll be discussing the third quarter of round one.